be here when you are. Well, there's Bart. You're muted, Courtney. Yeah, sorry, I didn't have my full screen on, so I thought we were still waiting for commissioners. Sorry. I, yeah, I just don't see. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. I think we're still, Amber's trying to get, still get in the meeting. Is Lisa not going to? Where's Lisa? I don't, I'm sorry, I don't see her either. Yeah, don't either. I'm disinclined to start without them. Understood. <laughs> Let me uh, send the link out. Oh, there she is. Okay. Oh, Has anyone heard from Amber? I can try to call her. <clears throat> did you send her a message? I I did earlier. She texted me about a link. I sent it to her and I didn't hear back from her. I'll just call her real quick.
Oh, there she is. She should be coming, I think. She was having internet issues on top of link issues. Okay, I think everyone is here now. Um, this is uh, Mayor Courtney Shipley. This is the uh, Tuesday, January 18th City Commission meeting. Um, normally, we would have some announcements here at the beginning, but because we have another um, study work session with a guest, we'll save those for after um, uh, that and that way the public that's coming in after 545 will know what our regular rules are. So let's go ahead and do roll. Um, oh yeah, that's me. I do that. Okay. Um, Vice Mayor Larson. I'm here. Commissioner Finkeldye. Here. Commissioner Littlejohn. Here. Uh, Commissioner Sellers. Present. Excellent. Everyone is here. Um, let me just double check. Sherry, are we okay? You got everything you need? Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, and with that, again, let me welcome our guest, um, Professor Nell Bandian, um, highly respected and esteemed. And I must again, thank him profusely for uh, speaking with us on his area of expertise. So I won't, I won't go on, but thank you for again, for being here. Thank you very much, Mayor. And it's, uh, nice to see everybody again. Thank you for spending your time uh, with me. I appreciate it uh, very much. So today we're going to continue and uh, look at the two things, the attributes of the high performing governing body and also expectations that you have of each other that will contribute to the high performance. Uh, I think when you look at the documents that I sent you might have noted that they were a little bit, they, they're, uh, in my mind, they're kind of, they're dated a little bit. And so it will be very important um, for you to be adding to those, uh, modifying them to bring them up to contemporary um, standards and also to make them relevant to, to, your, own, to your own work. But before we get to that, I thought we just very briefly just uh, look back at last week when we talked about the gap and we talked about values and we talked about different perspectives of council and staff, elected officials and staff. And I wondered whether there was anything from that session that particularly stood out for you in terms of helping to understand what the heck's going on here. Um, um, any particular learning going on there that you'd like to um, that like you'd like to share? Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, it was the uh, different expectations and uh, uh, how there can be miscommunication. Um, uh, I, I think that was definitely helpful and uh, to give us a new perspective. Okay. Other thoughts from last week? Uh, Mayor Shipley, um, you said something really interesting that I liked and I highlighted it. And it was, I believe you were remarking on efficiency 
and that I think you said you can't only focus on efficiency because it will come back to hurt you. And I thought that was a, a fascinating, uh, what did Amber call it last week, an Albandian nugget. I thought that was mm -hmm. very interesting. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen that, you know, in places like Ferguson, uh, Missouri. Uh, and well, Craig would, Craig could tell us about that a little bit. Ferguson's not, not very far from uh, from where he was the, he was the manager. So, but anyway, yeah, yeah, efficiency is one of four values. Any other thoughts? Commissioner Finkelguy, I wrote down a lot of things, but I highlighted politics and administration is a diff are different ways of thinking. Have you experienced that, Brad? Yes, I've experienced that. Mm -hmm. um, for sure. And uh, it's a, certainly been something, you know, as I try to work my way through this, I mean, obviously it goes to your main point, which is bridging between what you want to do and what you operationally can do. Um, so absolutely. Good. So this is Vice Mayor Carson. I think one of the points that I kind of stuck out in my head was the, when you talked about that, um, as commissioners, we don't necessarily have the right to be listened to, but we must earn the respect of our other our fellow commissioners in order for that to happen. And this is Commissioner Sellers. I guess I can't be the last one, but can't be the last one and one not to speak. But I do appreciate all our all my previous commissioners and their comments. I think the biggest uh, that struck with me was one, um, Commissioner Finkelguy brought it up in regards to um, the political piece and the administrative piece, but most importantly, the aspect of bridging and the role that we play in our commission manager form of government, which um, maybe many in our community don't really understand and what that impact is in regards to our relationship to the work we do in relationship with Craig serves as our manager, as well as to being that extension to us to the staff and Professor Malley. Um, sorry, I catch my breath here. Now, Vanian really in the graphic that you had that showed the different lines and what they represented as far as where that connection piece is and where the strength of that is. I think that speaks volumes as to understanding our role and our path mm -hmm. and how we can stay focused and committed to the work we are charged to do in relationship to what we charge our manager to do and what we have the what the authority of city staff can do within their realms. Yeah, you know, one of the things that has struck me is that uh, I think especially for residents who haven't lived here for a long time, that the news that you get about uh, public officials uh, on TV or the internet or, or whatever, when it comes to mayors, information about mayors, inevitably it's about a big city mayor. You know, in big city mayors, that's fine, except it's a different form of government. And so if, if, if to some extent, part of what you have to do is, you know, you're in the process of educating educating um, residents about the form of government and also commissioners who may be elected and don't really fully understand. Anyway, thank you all. Thanks for that very much. So um, we're going to look at the attributes and the expectations, but I thought first I just tell you just a little 
little intro to why I do this. And it's because the conditions that you work in under as commissioners uh, are, are, are not really common in many other work settings, especially in a large organization. Uh, now, if you're a sole proprietor, uh, these may not be as relevant as if you're working in an organization and have that experience. But think about the think about your work here, where you have no supervisor who can discipline or coach you. Okay, uh, you have a very vague job description, if any. And if you have a job description, it probably does not say much about how you actually spend your time. It probably says something about your responsibilities, but not so much how you spend your time. And then you have no systematic performance appraisal. So it's not like uh, those of you who work for the state, you know, you have a supervisor, you have a job description, you have an annual performance appraisal. So in the absence of those things, then see those things provide structure, um, which enable you then to utilize your talents within that framework. But in the absence of that, it, you have to create the framework. And that's what the expectations are about, is trying to provide you with some structure. What do you expect of each other? And so then it, with that knowledge and to the extent that you can commit to those things and live by those things, you will able, be able to deploy your talents, your talents effectively. So um, Craig's going to take notes tonight. Craig, did you realize you're going to take notes tonight? And, um, and then he'll draft a version of the attributes and the expectations based on our discussion or your discussion uh, with the goal of coming up with a list of uh, attributes and expectations that are yours. And so he would then bring a list back to you and then you would talk about it and so on, so on and so forth. Um, in, in addition, if you find this conversation useful, you could also engage in it. I think I said this uh, before, uh, focusing on your relationship with staff and also with the city manager. Uh, Okay, Craig, I'd like to finish this intro before we get into the questions by asking you, um, why do things like attributes and expectations, why have they been important to you in the experiences that you've had in, in other places? City Manager Craig Owens, uh, thanks, Johnny. The, you know, the work of the commission or the elected body um, is it is an important is a really important piece for um, the executive and the in the staff to understand direction. So, you know, that we, we look at uh, this a little bit 
selfishly and singularly a decision that's got clarity that moves us in direction gives us what we need to make things less confusing when we're trying to do our work so i find that we kind of fixate on okay what's the decision and what's the direction um, and it's richer than that as our staff conversations noted uh, Wednesday morning, uh, when we were talking about the last meeting, the values and how much more complex it is than many, I think many staff members recognize. There's a lot more going on than a vote and a decision. So I think um, these, these ways of operating help us kind of translate um, to, for useful information so that we can carry the work forward. And it's not just us, it's the community, the um, appointed advisory boards and commissions. There's a, a broad audience, I think we understand. And the more um, cohesive and predictable, and I don't mean that like in, to minimize it, but um, to more predictable way that we know that we're, we're taking actions and moving our community forward, um, the more useful it is it, and more efficient it is to us um, uh, but also I think it is to the community. I think it is to a lot of stakeholders who are invested in the outcomes of the decisions of this body. And so, um, the more kind of sense it makes and to some degree predictability, the more, um, value and, and more complexity we can add at a different place. When the process is complex, you, you, you tend not to, add the complexity of the challenges of the community. You kind of want to simplify it because we can't have too many moving pieces in all directions. So I would say to me, anything where we can have a little bit more predictability and organization in what John acknowledges is can be a very dynamic and um, undulating environment, the more we can kind of make some sense of that, the more we can add the complexity in, in doing the work um, that is policy work that we need for the community. So I'd say that's, and it's selfish, and that's, I'm really exposing the staff perspective on that, but um, I think anything we can do to organize it and then have some predictability is good. And anything really also that keeps us from bumping against that 11 o'clock at night <laughs> um, with the work that this community needs done, anything we can do to try and help that be successful and get more out of each agenda is also an important thing. Okay, thanks, Craig. So um, the staff will be taking some notes here and bringing, 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 bringing the document back to you so that you can, uh, you can consider it um, and, and move on from there. So let's start with the questions that I uh, posed for you. Um, which two or three of the attributes of the high-performing governing body, which two or three of the attributes are most important, do you think? Why are they most important? And then we'll talk about what's missing. So um, I want to hear first from those who've had the experience on the council, and then we'll uh, ask everybody to weigh in, weigh in on this. So who wants to get who who wants to get us started? Courtney, Brad, Lisa. Um, this is Commissioner uh, Larson. I, I'll go ahead and start. First of all, I don't think it's fair that um, John that you are making us only pick two or three. That's tough. <laughs> this is uh, this is definitely a good list of items. I think that 
that strike me as being important as far as being a commissioner. Um, a few of them that I would rank a little bit higher than maybe some of the other ones is the idea that it's important to work as a team with our uh, fellow commissioners as well as between the, the commissioners and staff. Um, I think that's extremely important to understand that, that we're on a team here and we're trying to decide what's best for the community as a group and we should move forward that way. The other is, um, another item would be effectively and prudently engaging citizens in decision-making and policy-making. I think it's extremely important that, that we um, engage our community as much as possible. Um, obviously, we work for them, and it's important to hear and to listen to what they have to have to say about how, how the, they want their government to run. So I think it's important to do and it's very respectful at that. So I know you said two, I'm gonna go ahead and just add a, one more in here. And I think professional demeanor is extremely important um, to, to, in order to maintain a line of communication with all your fellow commissioners. Um, the idea of, of having that professional decorum is just so important to uh, make sure those those lines of communication stay open. Um, when that doesn't happen, then sometimes you will get either his tendency to possibly uh, make folks not want to open up and, and be real uh, forthright. So those are a couple of them. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Courtney or Brad? Commissioner Finkel, I, um, all three that Commissioner Vice Mayor Lawson brought up, I had, uh, definitely had on my narrow down list. Um, in particular, I had the effectively and prudently engaging citizens. Um, you know, I also, also did priority setting. And I think in our context, that means strategic plan, you know, really being focused on the strategic plan um, and making that clear. And then the last one, which was balancing competing interests and compromise. Um, you know, I'm a, you know, there's lots of things you can vote up and down, and sometimes there's no middle ground. There's just a yes or a no. But often um, there's the ability, you know, to to find the balance of those competing interests and, and compromise. And I think that's the, an important part of what we do. Sometimes that's a compromise between, you know, maybe a staff position and a city position. Maybe sometimes it's a compromise amongst ourselves. Um, but really understanding those competing interests and balancing them, I think, is the important part. Thank you. Mayor? Um, Mayor Shibley, um, uh, yeah, I, I agreed with uh, Commissioner Finkeldye on 10. Um, so yeah, 10 and uh, 12, um, particularly, um, I, for some of the same reasons. Um, you can't make everyone happy 100% of the time, but um, you can get very close. And I think, um, the the only way to do that is to be good at communicating and um, um, for you know for the back and forth and discussion amongst ourselves uh, in public to be um, clear. Um, and the other one, let's see. Oh, um, three. Although um, the having process form for identifying most important issues. That also, I think, talk, one of the reasons I liked it is it also kind of identifies some of the things we've committed to in our strategic plan. <clears throat> um, so that um, also as kind of a, a process and system person, I, I enjoy to figure out how systems work. 
um, and and to a certain extent, so that I can help other people navigate the system. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons I, I that one reached out to me. Okay, thank you. Uh, Bart and Amber, you're joining joining this group and uh, a fresh perspective. So, uh, which of the attributes do you think are going to be the most important? Uh, Commissioner Sa or Commissioner Littlejohn, uh, I guess I can go. Um, I think uh, number twelve is a pretty popular one. That's one I had marked down as well. Um, balancing, getting interest and compromise, because I think that's where you usually find the path forward. Um, I had number one, um, listen as customer service representatives, but act as trustees, um, just because the dual nature of our of our position um, and making sure that uh, that we still have balance and have both feet in both or each feet, each foot in each arena. So. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's my third one I was struggling with, but I was gonna, is either a toss up between four, um, work as a team within council and between council and staff, or, uh, honestly, uh, number five, you're clear what our work is because you can't really, um, go anywhere if you don't have direction. So. Commissioner Sellers, um, I struggle a little bit with this, but um, I would say my top three would be first, number three, having process and forms to identify the most important issues and processes. Um, I don't know, I guess because I'm a word and term person, I kind of struggled with most important issues. Um, I think it relates to competing interests and competing values. And we talked about that a little bit last week as far as, you know, we can't, we're not superheroes. We can't tackle everything. Um, there's a reason why you compromise and you navigate that. Um, there are going to be things that we discuss, issues, projects that we deal with that are important, but they may not be of high priority. Um, but having a process or forums in place of how we engage and identify those and that it's there's a consensus between the commission on what that is. I feel like you have to have that in order to do number five or even number seven. Um, we can't be clear about the work unless we know what the process for executing that work. Um, it's difficult and, it, and this is from my perspective. Um, how do we respond to the most important issues could be reflective of understanding what our process is for doing that. Um, I think Craig um, shared a great example with um, Commissioner Littlejohn and myself and our orientation about how to, when you're receiving multiple emails from constituents and how do we navigate that? And being a new commissioner, you may feel like I have to have the answer or they're expecting the answer from me and we're new to this system. So if I don't understand the process or my role in the process, I may end up burning out my gears uh, before I even started. So number three was important to me. Next was number two, um, council members listen to each other and talk with each other. Um, this, I think when we are speaking and when, we're, when it's the matter of the business, 
of the city. Um, again, it goes back to those competing values and how we listen to each other and engage with each other within HOMA um, and how we navigate that work um, is important. And are we really listening to each other? And are we using coded language um, as a way to dissuade someone, uh, one of our fellow commissioners from truly understanding what our intent is? So um, again, it goes back to how do we navigate those competing values, those competing interests, and also how we engage in um, in building consensus within um, our, our commissioners. So that's one for me. And then the last one is number nine, holding city manager accountable for results. Um, this is a partnership. And it's important to us as we explain our form of governance to our community to understand that the work just doesn't fall on us and that it is a relationship and that we have to be able to explain to the community that success is when all three elements of our former government is functioning and that we understand the process and we engage and we are holding each other accountable. And so the Craig depends on me to be at my best or at least as close to my best and engage in him in that, um, understanding my vulnerabilities, um, engaging, asking those difficult questions, um, asking him those difficult questions when it comes to it, uh, but also making sure that the work is being done and how do we engage with him and what the work that our, our staff is doing. So um, just as much as you know, we don't have that PRF or we don't have that performance evaluation, um, there has to be metrics for Craig to engage with me just as much as I need to have metrics to engage with him to ensure that we're both communicating and engaging mm -hmm. in a way that's successful, um, that we're both being successful, because that means that there's gonna be success in how services and, and goods are, are shared with the community. So those are mine, two, three, and nine. Great. So it's like, <laughs> there are just a couple that uh, weren't mentioned there. So uh, that's a, it looks like it's a pretty good list. What I would ask you now is a couple of things. One, what is missing from the list? And also, there's nothing on this list about social media. So what 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 would the what would a, a really positive attribute or characteristic of a city commission be with regard to the use of social media? Easy question, huh? This is Commissioner Sellers. I'll put myself out there. Maybe a timely communication of it could be just important events, whether it's an outage. Um, mm -hmm. It could be just I think timely communication of 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 important matters. So it could be job openings. It could be whether mm -hmm. um, a change in a service route. Um, things of that nature. So using it as another okay. form of quickly getting information out, quickly disseminating information out. Mayor Shipley, um, are you are you asking us? Are you actually asking us about 
the possible and likely divisions that our individual social media may have or take and not not just amongst ourselves but between ourselves and the city as an or as an organism is that what you're actually asking me here <laughs> what i've um, uh, the question grows out of what i've heard in other places which is that uh individual commissioners can utilize social media are more pre some are more predisposed than others okay to use social media when it comes to communicating with citizens residents and that in fact on occasion that can uh raise divisions among the commissioners so someone a council member who is not satisfied with what you know another commissioner said or the result of a decision could get on social media and kind of go on a rant and um you know create um create issues in fact i heard one where it said uh it's gotten so confusing that there are times when residents can't don't know whether the individual commissioner through social media is responding as an individual commissioner versus is uh, acting as the voice of the council commission so anyway you might think about that because it's not something that's here but i'm sure there's been stuff that's uh, written about it and craig could survey some other places and see what they've uh you know what they've included okay and Professor Albanian, this is Commissioner Sellers. To that point, I, I think it it opens up communication as to what an elected official is utilizing. What are they using their social media for? Um, and I know for me, utilizing what little footprint I have on social media because it it is quite a it's a struggle for me. Um, is more of information share and never putting something out there that the community writ large could perceive as being division or me speaking outside of the consensus of the governing body, which is the city commission or the commissioner. So um, I think that I, I, you bring up an excellent point. And I think it goes into so what is that individual using it for? And, and you know, for me, I don't, I, I've never thought to use it to 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 use it to for as a perception of trying to sow a seed of doubt or division, but more of the information to share that as your commissioner, I'm another conduit to get information out to you to engage you in what is available, whether it's a job opening, board and commission openings, um, wonderful activities that you know, parks and record doing or something like that, never to on a specific topic per se, but I would be interested to know what other commissioners thought. Okay. Craig, do you have any thoughts on this? City Manager Craig Owens. Um, I, I don't think it's just social media. It's, I think it's media, more traditional media as well. Um, it, it is a very, uh, compared to other places I've been uh, served, it, it is a, a pretty wide open uh, space here. Um, uh, there usually, 
the mayor is the spokesperson and speaks only on behalf of the entire city and represents the city's position on things rather than uh, individuals speaking on issues that are policy issues. But here, um, it, it's pretty pretty open uh, forum and uh, frequently you will see whether it's social media or, or traditional media, um, multiple opinions expressed. You know, I think thought very thoughtfully and in context uh, in my experience, but that is something, you know, that it hasn't been addressed as far as I can tell, hasn't really been addressed here um, with the elected body. Okay, and maybe no need to. So, but keep an eye on it. Okay, keep an eye on it. Let's move to the second piece here, which is the expectations that um, you have of one another, uh, which do you think are most important? And um, again, let's start with the uh, senior members uh, and let's see where we are on that. Who wants to start? Commissioner Finkel, I'll, I'll jump in. Again, all of these, all of these are pretty good. Um, but my first one was respect each other, staff and the public and the process, especially in a public setting. I think you can never have too much respect for any of those situations. Treating the public, treating staff and treating each other with respect is to me utmost important. Um, and you know, our, the way we work with each other, um, you know, kind of second to that was number one, which was very similar, but respect each other's opinions and do not speculate on the motives of others. Disagree with respect and don't put down the others, um, you know, based upon your knowledge or whatever reason, you know, disagree with respect and respect opinions. I appreciate Again, I think that goes to the compromise part of it, um, which again goes to the last one I picked, which is number 10 is, if the vote doesn't go your way, try to find a way to support some aspect of the issue all kind of related to what we were just talking about. You know, we are a commission. So if, you know, the vote goes one way and I'm on the losing side of that vote or if I'm on the winning side, but you know, say I'm on the losing side of that vote, it's still a commission decision and we need to support that commission decision moving forward because that's what our staff is going to do and that's what's moving us forward. So, and again, in the sense of compromise, um, in a sense of respect, you, you take that decision and move forward. This is Vice Mayor, Vice Mayor Larson. I'm going to go next. Um, so I, I would uh, agree with Commissioner Finkeldye on number one and number seven regarding this respect issue. I think it's vital that um, that we have an exhibit um, respect to all of our commissioners as well as staff and the public. And that is really, to me, the foundation of everything going forward. And if we can't respect each other as well as our community members, then it's gonna be hard to build on any anything. It's gonna be a really weak foundation to build on. So I would um, um, highlight those two as, as my most important ones, because that's that's the foundation of what, we, what we're doing here. Mayor? Mayor Shipley. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm flipping back and forth between your lovely faces and your list. Um, uh, yeah, I, I like number three because um, I'm a, a questioner and I'm always trying to get to the bottom of, you know, call the question and try to figure out what we're really talking about. Um, so um, 
asking the most questions and having the most understanding of what someone is thinking about or is focusing on um, helps me in decision making. Um, number six, um, we're elected at large and we need to make decisions based on what we think is good for the whole city. I think it's an interesting one because that's something that can get lost. Um, occasionally, um, in, and I'm going to bring this up, I was thinking about it when you were talking only moments ago about social media is the unfortunate um, way that Americans run campaigns and the way uh, certain things can uh, during your campaign cycle, you know, the need to commit to certain things. I'm definitely going to do this and I promise to do that um, uh, can really be uh, can interfere with the work we need to do together. And I think it's, um, I think it's a disservice not to remind each other that, that, you know, the American way of running campaigns is a, a fact of what we do. And, um, uh, the other one, I, uh, the respect each other. Yes, of course. Um, respect is a two-way street, um, not just with other commissioners, but also with the public. Um, occasionally we'll have someone um, who maybe goes over the line in public comment, not very often, um, and the discussion of like, how do we address that um, and be respectful of freedom of speech. Um, I, I think those conversations are really important. And also that we be um, self-confrontational um, about what respect means in um, a primarily, um, uh, in a system that was created for white men by white men and, um, giving respect to the person who deserves respect, but you don't, um, I, I want to point those things out, um, and professionalism and these ideas, these are, um, built on a system that wasn't for me. Um, or some of my other commissioners. So sometimes when we use these words, um, some of these things are a little bit loaded and we need to be able to be self-confrontational about um, what, the, what the actual behaviors are around that and what system perpetuates them. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Bart and uh, Amber. This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, this one, I wouldn't say I wrestled with, um, but again, just, I think maybe this was me getting in the weeds a little bit as far as it says the following expectations. And to have two on here that speaks to respect of opinion and respect of individuals. So respect of the individual as it relates to their opinion and respect of the public and individuals. I guess going into this role, if you're not leading with respect and respect has to be an expectation that says a lot about the individual and what you what you take from this role. I, 
I don't know if I could serve in a role where I'm, it's not required of me to be respected and my commissioners did not respect me. Um, so I didn't choose one that, that had respect in it and that's no indictment on my fellow commissioners or anything. I think it speaks a little bit to what Mayor Shipley was saying is, I serve, I chose to, to campaign to be in this role because I believed in the attributes and abilities that I have to be of service to my community and to raise the level of knowledge, capacity, opportunities for my community. Um, and I know that respect is not always given, but I think to, to call yourself a city commissioner and to not respect those that you sit on the dais with, as well as you engage with in city staff and as well as with the city manager, that I would question why you choose to serve as a commissioner. So that that was what I struggled with. But not need to say, my top three were um, number three, try to have a good understanding of the other person's view before critiquing it. Um, because we are limited on how we can engage and how many, how many and who we can, not who, but how many we can engage with, that makes it difficult. And so trying to understand and, and engage and get an understanding of my fellow commissioners and getting the opportunity to reach out to them to say, hey, would you like to engage with me on this particular um, agenda item or would you like to talk about this piece um, and having that opportunity to get to know them from that capacity is important to me and I think I hope that that's the expectation of our seasoned as well as new commissioners um, in this role. Um, next I would have number six. Um, this is one I wouldn't say I struggle with but about the idea of being an at-large and what role that, and the importance of what that means as understanding the many voices um, of our community, but ensuring that I am making a decision based on, um, to that last part, what is good for the city as a whole. And then if you look at number 10, um, if a vote doesn't go your way, try to find a way to support it as some aspect of the issue. I know Commissioner Finkeldy brought that up, and I, you know, you know, going into, I would imagine, or at least with me, ninety percent of the time, if I'm going into a vote or a decision, I, I, I mean, I know ninety percent of the time where I'm going to leave, and knowing that I'm not leaving it there, I know that to continue to push this through, I need to be involved and engaged in some capacity of that vote, even if it didn't go my way, um, because if I want to serve in this capacity again, I need to be able to show the community where, yes, I may not have, you know, agreed with the decision that was made, um, but I engaged in it. And I think that goes back to number six, you know, because we represent the large. There's gonna be some aspect of decisions that we make by vote that one part of our community may not agree with and one part of our community does agree with, but I made the vote based on what was best for the city as a whole. And I have to be able to understand how can I continue to be and support that aspect of that issue? Because I know it may represent one part of this community that really believes in it. So I think six and 10, there's a little bit of a relationship to it. And then also number three. Thank you. Uh, Bart? 
Uh, yeah, Commissioner Little John. Uh, I went with number two uh, because I usually live by the motto expect the unexpected, um, keep your head on a swivel. So um, uh, it's a uh, people can surprise you. So um, I think that was pretty apropos. Um, and number seven, uh, but uh, like Commissioner Seller has said, that's kind of a baseline thing, I'm, I would think. Um, and number six, um, uh, we always should just keep in mind that uh, we're just trying to do the best that we can for as many people as we can. So, and uh, to always keep that in mind the forefront of our thinking. Okay, you guys, thanks very much. We've uh, run out of time. So that doesn't mean that this process uh, has to end here. Okay, so uh, Craig will bring some things back to you. You continue the discussion. If I can be of service, let me know. I will leave you with, based on the things that you've said. It reminds me of, um, I said this uh, last week, but it reminds me of what Jim Oliver, a uh, noted manager in Virginia said to me one time. He said, uh, John, what council members don't realize is that their most important constituent is the other council members. And you, you all seem to be expressing, expressing that. So uh, let's see, uh, Craig or Mayor, you wanna say anything as a kind of a final, final thought here? Go ahead, Craig. Got something? Uh, City Manager Craig Owens. Just that um, I with uh, I think I heard Sherry giggle when said asked me if I was taking notes. Uh, she's really good at it, and I couldn't stop her if I tried. But um, so we will put these together and bring them forward for maybe a, an adoption um, on a consent agenda, or we can pull them in and have another conversation when it's it's something else. Um, that you can have. And the other thing that I imagine is that I hope this becomes a tradition that we you know, retouch these uh, maybe annually, but certainly after every election. Uh, and um, I think that would be a, a good thing for us just to renew um, and set a baseline for, for you know, future commissions. Uh, you know, let me make a suggestion uh, that you could revisit these after you have uh, gone through a particularly difficult issue and have decided it, you could do an after action report based on the attributes and the expectations. That would be the real test of them. Uh, Mayor? Uh, thank you again. Uh, I can't express enough gratitude to you for being here with us and sharing all your knowledge. Um, Alas, I must move on. Um, as you point out, we, we've kind of come to our, uh, past our time to begin the meeting. So what I'm gonna do here is go ahead and uh, switch it back over to Porter to give us our beginning of the meeting announcements. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> I just have a few housekeeping items for this Zoom meeting tonight. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting unless you are speaking. The chat function for the meeting is disabled. All chats will go to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. 
You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating in the meeting, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. Please remember to state your name each time you speak for the benefit of those participating remotely. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mayor Shipley. Thank you, Porter. Um, and so now we will let um, Sherry uh, give us um, some other rules about how our comment particularly works. Thank you, Mayor. Um, again, just some reminders for the virtual meeting. Uh, please remember, uh, excuse me, commissioners and staff, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. When a motion is made, the mayor will call on commissioners individually to provide their vote, then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and limit your comments to three minutes. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. And again, uh, please limit your comments to three minutes. Thank you, Mayor. Um, Mayor Shipley, um, I do want to go back. We did not approve the agenda yet, which is um, item A. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, are there any um, changes to the agenda that commissioners would like to make? Not hearing anything. Do we have any not? Uh, um, <laughs> do we, do we have anyone who would like to approve? <laughs> Vice Mayor Larson moved to approve the agenda. Commissioner Finkel, I second. Thank you so much. Um, hearing a first and a second, um, Vice Mayor Larson. Aye. Uh, Commissioner Finkel, aye. Commissioner Littlejohn. Aye. Commissioner Sellers. Aye. Uh, by, uh, Mayor Shipley, that passes five to zero. Uh, we've already done item B, our um, orientation and conversation with Professor Nalbandian. And the next item is our consent agenda. All matters listed below on the consent agenda are considered under one motion and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate discussion on these items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Um, is there anything that a commissioner would like to pull from the consent agenda? Oh, not seeing anything. Um, Sherry, do we see anyone there in the audience who would like to pull anything from consent agenda? No, Mayor. Um, Mayor Shipley again, is there anyone on virtual or on Zoom who's, oh, I see a hand. Yes, uh, Michael Allman. Hi, thank you, Mayor Shipley. I'd like to pull item C8C. Charlie, eight Charlie. Um, 
Mayor Shipley, thank you. Um, is there anyone else, Sherry, indicating online that they want to pull anything? No, Mayor. Uh, Mayor Shipley, uh, let's continue then. Do we have any um, motions to approve with the exception of C8C? Commissioner Finkeldie, I move to approve the consent agenda with the exception of C8C. Commissioner Sellers, I second. Uh, hearing a first and second, uh, Commissioner Finkeldie? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Mayor Shipley, that's five to zero. Um, let's then go back and look at C8C. Um, uh, Mr. Allman, you, you have three minutes. Thank you, Mayor Shipley. This is Michael Allman, and I will do my darndest to respect the three-minute limit. <laughs> it's hard. Um, I'm speaking for the Brook Creek Neighborhood Association at this point, and if I'm reading this agenda item correctly, uh, when it was on last week's agenda, the fiscal impact numbers didn't pencil. I think that's right. It seemed like there was an $800,000 shortfall and it was uh, deferred to this week as a result of that, I assume, because the fiscal impact is different now. Now it's 8 million instead of 7,600. So it's a $400,000 shortfall. What I am objecting to is the staff is trying to maintain a revenue neutral budget, which is good, but short, shorting our neighborhood by taking that money from the East 19th Street construction. East 19th Street has been waiting for 10 years. Brook Creek neighborhood, well, th this got proposed 10 years ago and uh, Brook Creek neighborhood had worked for all that time to get a, f a good resolution as to size and configuration. And thanks to the commission, we do have a street design that will that will satisfy everybody as far as I can tell. But what happens now with this $400,000 taken away? So now I'm switching my hats to Sustainability Action Network. Uh, if you had chance in the last two weeks to read our letter, we're proposing to save the city anywhere between one and one and a half million dollars at a project at around 6 million total by right-sizing the street, which means making it three lanes instead of two lanes. Um, Wakarusa south of 23rd Street is uh, pegged by KDOT, at least in their plans, to become a three-lane street, two travel lanes for motor vehicles and a center turn lane. North of Bob Billings, Wakarusa is four lanes. This section between Bob Billings and 23rd is ideal for a transition to right size down to three lane because it doesn't get anywhere near the commercial traffic that north of Bob Billings does. So that's the long and the short of it. I can answer any questions, um, but you know, we had an opportunity on Castle to save a million dollars and we didn't go with the three lane street. And uh, in my opinion, that didn't work out very well. So we have a chance here to uh, really design a street that will work uh, well for the motorists. And, and we're grateful 
for the shared use paths for bicycles and pedestrians. I have to add that, I wanna make sure. Um, but I hope you consider this is a good way to save money and uh, serve multimodal traffic uh, solution. Thank you very much. Mayor Shipley, thank you. Are there any questions from uh, city commissioners on this? Commissioner Finkel, I, um, I think on number one, could someone answer the question about the 400,000? I believe that's a cost savings, but someone could explain that from staff. Sure. Uh, good evening, commissioners. Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager. So um, the original uh, construction budget for East 19th Street was $2.2 million. That project was awarded um, for less than $2 million uh, back in December. However, before the award, we had some excess federal funding in the amount of $400,000 that we moved into that project to bump its construction budget up to 2.6. So recognizing that we've got um, excess budget in that project and a shortfall for the concept here, um, it's staff's intention to move that $400,000 from the project East 19th that's already been awarded and is adequately funded into the Walker Rusa project. Commissioner Finkel, I thank you. This is Vice Mayor Larson. I had a question for you, Jake. Um, so the, the 19th Street came in uh, lower than the um, budgeted amount. Uh, what's going to happen to the rest of that money that that did not um, that that doesn't have to be used for that project, other than 400,000? Engineering Program Manager Jake Baldwin. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what the plan is at the moment. I'm assuming it would be a construction contingency. And then after construction, after change orders and, and uh, project closeouts wrapped up, um, I think staff can make a recommendation on that. Thank you. Mayor Shipley, any other questions for staff or? Um, I, I uh, Commissioner Littlejohn, um, Jake, could you uh, just go and also go into the rationale of uh, why uh, it was proposed to make this road uh, four lane, um, two on each side, as opposed to uh, one on each side with a turning lane? Sure. Engineering Program Manager Jake Baldwin, thanks for the question. Um, so the, this, is an, in the, this is an existing four lane roadway. Um, traffic volume is somewhere in the neighborhood of 16,000 uh, vehicles per day. Um, so really, once you get above that 10 to 12,000 vehicles per day, that's kind of a cutoff where you want to consider doing anything less than four lanes. Um, once you get above that, um, really you decrease the level of service in the road, which makes it a less safe road. Um, you end up with more um, queuing, platooning, um, uh, more accidents, and, and you know, eventually you know, you're going to lead to uh, traffic uh, cutting through neighborhoods. Mayor Shipley, any other questions? Um, since you brought it up, um, Jake, um, the numbers that you quote there and level of service, which is a something you engineers use all the time and um, can be up somewhat to your discretion as our local engineer and knowing what the current conditions are locally. Um, uh, I, I don't disagree, not that it matters, that many of our streets do need to be um, reconsidered. Um, perhaps at the time that they were built, we anticipated a higher density of people or usage. 
Um, and often the, the things you base it on are models that are in many cases just a pretty good guess. Um, so could you maybe talk a little bit about the numbers um, that you threw out at us there and they're just a little bit higher than me over here on Castle. So um, uh, the difference in behavior when there's four lanes versus three lanes or any of those comments that you'd like to um, share your knowledge on. Uh, sure. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Jake Baldwin, Engineering Program Manager. I'm actually going to turn this question over to uh, Jonathan Marburger, who's our consultant with JEO and is a, a traffic expert subject matter. Are you able to hear me now? Great. So if I understand correctly, the question, you know, comparing to Castled, and the level of service in, in terms of what we're seeing as far as traffic numbers and where we're coming up with those. Uh, existing counts today, so not, not even using a crystal ball to forecast into the future, existing counts today are over 16,000 vehicles a day. On Castle Drive, I've actually got the uh, city traffic map, uh, the latest counts from KDOT up. Uh, north of Bob Billings on Castle, uh, there's about 9,000 vehicles a day. So there's over 50% more traffic on this section of Wakarusa today than there is on the section that got completed between uh, 6th Street and Bob Billings. Uh, and then, you know, in terms of developable property, there's a, a pretty major uh, office complex. They've built one out of, I believe, five buildings that are approved in that plat. And so there's a pretty significant amount of additional potential development along the corridor that we see could add even more traffic. And as Jake mentioned, you know, if we reduce the level of service, cars will look for the uh, really the least friction way to get through town. And, you know, so that could push people over to Inverness, which is a safe route to school uh, where, you know, you really don't want through traffic going through the neighborhood if you can help it. So that's where we've tried to uh, identify from a route consistency standpoint and a traffic management standpoint, uh, the recommendation to go with that um, two lanes in each direction scenario. Mayor Shipley, and since you're here, I do what I have done since someone already pulled it, so we're already having this conversation. Um, and, and I felt very good about the discussion uh, between yourselves and the Multimodal um, Transportation Commission. Um, but for the sake of uh, the public, um, just briefly, could you talk to me about how a roundabout actually keeps traffic moving um, better than a light? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the roundabout um, operates uh, very well uh, during the peak hour for both um, Wakarusa Drive and 18th Street. And so right now today, if you're getting on uh, Wakarusa from 18th, particularly if you're trying to cross the street or turn left, uh, there can be significant delays uh, trying to time a gap. And indeed, that's where we see a lot of the crashes that occur in the, in the corridor is those vehicles trying to turn on to Wakarusa. And so uh, what a roundabout does is it reduces the delay not only to the main line who doesn't have a traffic signal today. So if we installed one, uh, there's a certain number of people that are going to have to stop at a red light uh, where the roundabout is essentially free flowing for the most part 
uh, and except for the most highest of um, volumes. Uh, and then the side road uh, wouldn't have even the stop sign. Everybody's just turning right. And so the delay to the side road, you know, you've been at a, a traffic signal where the uh, maybe you're the only car there and you're waiting for that light to turn green and the, and the actuator doesn't pick you up or the, the loops in the pavement you don't think really exist or are doing anything. Maybe it's a placebo, uh, you know, and so those type of situations, you know, you're never going to have to wait on 18th Street at, you know, 10 o'clock at night when there's nobody on the main line. You just go. And so that's that's how the overall level of service through the roundabout, you know, ultimately uh, outperforms, I would say, the, the traffic signal in terms of uh, delay, which leads to reduced emissions from cars, uh, et cetera. So, and economic time savings and all that good stuff. Thank you for um, mentioning um, uh, emissions and, and gas savings, because that is something that we are um, trying, sustainability is something we're trying to be focused on in our strategic plan. That's all kind of new to many of us, but um, the ask is for us to think about sustainability and all of the decisions we make. So I appreciate you bringing that up. One little last thing, and again, I wouldn't have even asked if y'all hadn't, somebody hadn't pulled it, but, um, and I hope Dave Cronin's still here, Jake, when, when the castle roundabout discussion was happening at that time, the roundabout would have been free through some program where it was a safety, because it was a safety issue, a safety enhancement, and the light was what cost more. So what's different about this project is the roundabout's costing more. And even though we can kind of show that safety is a factor here, especially with the volume of traffic, I wondered how we weren't able to capture any kind of um, KDOT funding or federal funding um, on that in this instance. Yeah, this is Dave Crones, the engineer. I can speak to that a uh, little, Mayor Shipley. We did uh, seek out some federal safety funds um, for that intersection, but we're unable to receive um, any. Previously, on the on the when we looked at a roundabout on Castle, and and even the two roundabouts we put in on Wakarusa to the north at Harvard and Inverness that qualified for uh, highway safety improvement funds. So there was some cost benefit analysis that was done that we were able to secure some funding uh, for those uh, improvements. So uh, we were not able to get any. Um, at the roundabout on this project, but we did we did try and ask. So, thanks, Mayor Shipley. Any other questions uh, for staff? Um, I think we do also still need to do public comment. Um, Sherry, is there any public commenters there in the audience? Related to this item. Oh, no. Okay, we're not quite to public comment yet. We're just wrapping one item that was pulled off consent. No, not here in the room, but we do have someone on Zoom. Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers. I wasn't prepared to speak on this, but just some of the conversations got me thinking. First of all, I'd like to bring up, I think it was 2017, I don't even remember the report, but it was a study where some outside company did like research for us where they got basically the town's opinion. But where I'm going with this, it's the report that we're using, I think for the stoplights, how we're getting them all synced up. So we're waiting less 
were weighing less in traffic. It kind of came from that report. I think it was 2017, but it ranked like congestion as one of our, our like when it came to what the people in Lawrence wanted, we wanted less congestion and it ranked high on that list. And it was, it was one where they went out and they got people. So it was like rep a representative study done of our population. I bring this up because they're talking the your engineers were talking about less congestion. And I would just like to bring up whatever that 2017 study is. I can't remember. I'm not even sure if it was 2017 i just i just know it's it's something that was quoted i think as reason for why we're spending the money on the stoplights is because the town wants less congestion and also when it comes to density i'd like to point out that plan 2040 calls for more density so what we have now like in in street numbers it's probably going to go up in the future if you're all planning on making more people living on blocks unless that's i don't know i think that's just kind of bs that you're all going to cave into like the neighborhood groups and people are when the nimbys say hey we don't want more people living in our neighborhoods i think you're going to cave to them but i mean if you're if you don't do what you say you're going to do then you're going to be putting Putting more housing and on blocks and just creating more density. So I, I think we, I, I'd listen to the engineers about keeping the numbers down so we don't have congestion problems. Thank you. Mayor Shipley, Sherry, is there anyone else? Uh, that's all the comment, Mayor. Okay, great. Um, uh, commissioners, any comments or discussion? Commissioner Finkel, I would just jump in and say, um, I appreciate Michael's question on the, um, you know, the 19th Street project. And I think another commissioner had the same question. So that might be something we look at going forward in agenda items, maybe putting a little footnote in about, you know, if we're taking money from someplace else, is that fully funded, that sort of thing. But, um, and I also say, you know, generally I'm, I'm open you know, to ideas of shrinking road sizes and considering those, I don't think this is the right spot for that. And I support this recommendation, but certainly I think going forward, we want to always look at those options um, in the right situations. But uh, I support this one as it exists. Mayor Shibley, any other comments from commissioners? This is Commissioner Sellers. <clears throat> I agree with Commissioner Finkelday um, on the basis of opportunities to shrink roads and um, recognizing that this is not one, um, not to impose my bias on the commission. Um, Wakarusa is a road that I take quite frequently for, for work and for travel. So I have seen a lot of the concerns that were shared and the rationale for um, for expansion and improvement and, and utilizing whether it's a light or a roundabout and being um, enlightened, enlightened on um, the, the benefits of the roundabout as it relates to um, flow of travel. And so I appreciate um, getting that, um, learning that piece about it as well. And so um, 
I will say just uh, based on some of the public meeting comments that were provided, uh, I did appreciate that there uh, was noted about identifying bus stops and curb cuts. Um, I think um, not too many realize that there is a bus, um, that there is a bus route for Wakarusa that um, goes from Six and Wakarusa to Iowa. Um, I've utilized it once um, during our COVID times when we were sheltered in place and needed uh, to um, go to the store and didn't want to take my own car. So um, just ensuring that we are um, highlighting those um, multimodal aspects of having that ability to have shared road space with bikes and also um, utilizing transportation um, out um, our bus lines and transportation out and having that being called out. So I really did appreciate that. So. This is Vice Mayor Larson and um, the East 19th project was one that uh, was um, long and drawn out. And, and I remember working diligently with Michael as well as uh, many of the neighborhood organizations on trying to get that street to a point to where it was a compromise. It was truly a compromise between very competing um, ideas. So I was also very um, curious as to the money, um, where the money was coming up, coming from on East 19th Street. It was good to see that, it, that the cost for East 19th Street came in lower. So that would allow us to use some funding. Um, as far as the width of this street, I would agree that the traffic count of 16,000 a day would make it very difficult or, or reasonable to bring that down to three lanes um, at this point in time. So I support this project. I really appreciate the questions. And, and Michael, um, uh, thanks for working with us on that past project as well as this one. Thanks. Mayor Shipley, any other comments? Um, I, I, I would say, um, I'm going to vote for this because it went through the process that we have developed and because um, I, I do believe in the deliberation of multimodal. I think they're very studied and I have a great deal of respect for the people on that uh, commission as, as I do many others. Um, I will confess a certain kind of disappointment that it, there, you know, it's to me, it was an opportunity, for example, for, um, protected bike lanes, um, as some other larger um, roads would have been. Um, but having, you know, multi-use paths on both sides, fine. Um, I will always try to remind everyone that the way we have things set up is auto-centric. We're making assumptions about whether people will drive individual vehicles um, into the future and whether or not people in Lawrence even want that. Um, so those are assumptions that are made in the models. Those are assumptions made about the future. Another interesting assumption about this particular road um, is that Wakarusa has been planned to go all the way down um, over the Wakarusa River, whole other conversation, all the way down to um, some rural roads, which is a conversation no one has really had with planning about whether that's a development pattern that they support or that even that we would support. Um, so some assumptions are about 
the volume of the traffic in the future and the behavior of people in the future. So um, the, those are things I just always want to point out, especially when we're talking about giant volumes of roads. Also to remind everyone that the larger the road is, the more people drive on it. Um, as, the, as the gentleman pointed out, um, part of it is to keep people off Inverness or other roads. Um, people choose roads based on all kinds of psychological factors. And I hope we just all remember, um, not just when we're making these decisions, but also when we're personally driving, um, that we are um, making all kinds of decisions um, as we're maneuvering in our community about other people's safety and about our own safety. And that the safety isn't just about the people in the car, it's also about the people outside the car. Um, so these are always things I wanna always bring up and remind us in our deliberations, but I will vote for this as I feel it's gone through the system and in the way that we have the system set up. And, um, and so I will approve it. Are there any motions? Commissioner Finkel, I, I would move to approve to proceed with the final design plans the recommended improvements as part of the Wakarusa Research Parkway to Clinton Parkway project, CIP MS-21-0017. Vice Mayor Larson, second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, I have a first and a second. Uh, Commissioner Finkeldy? Aye. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? Aye. Mayor Shipley, aye. Uh, that passes five to zero. Um, now we can move forward to public comment. Um, the public is allowed to speak on items or issues that are not scheduled for discussion on the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented during this time. Individuals could address, should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Um, Sherry, uh, it seems like we must have someone there in the audience. That's correct. Go right ahead. So I'm back again, been here for the last couple of years on and off, very, very tired. But at the same time, I think about those that came before me and what they had to go through. And I have not been through as much physical trauma as my ancestors before, but I am tired. I was born in this boxing ring of fighting systemic racism. Um, the last time we was here, um, I can't remember your name, but you spoke about Martin Luther King, and I remember him saying one time, "Justice denied." I mean, justice delay is justice denied. Same as change delay is change denied. We've been coming here since 2015. I can remember coming here in 2016 when there's a lot of shootings going around in the United States, and telling you guys that if we didn't get it together, it would be here. Um, it started with Dominique White in Topeka. Actually, a man in Leavenworth got killed. Then Dominique White in 2017, I want to say, in Topeka, Kansas. And then if this wasn't a sign enough, one of your officers thought she had pulled a taser and 
pulled her gun and shot Mr. Lewis as he was trying to just move and pick his uh, fiance up for work. Thank God that he lived. The reason why I can't sleep at night and I'm really, I don't even know the word to look, I would say bothered, is because you guys keep acting like there's no issues within y'all police department. I'm bothered, like I said, when we came here in 2019, I mean, 20, 2020, we started here because in the Warsaw's Washington Jr. case, it started with your police. And y'all probably like, she keeps talking about this. The reason why I keep talking about this because I can't unsee what you guys did to him. It should never, never even went to Charles Breson's desk, but the crooked police officers that was involved knew that Charles Branson and CJ Reed would back them up. The description of the male, black male, was a 21-year-old man. Now, do I have to embarrass you guys by showing you the integration of Rontaris Washington Jr. looking like he's 12 years old? And the fact that nobody stood up that was watching behind that glass and said, there's no way this boy did this. Because what murderer would ask the police to not only give them a ride to a job interview, but to come in their house while they took a shower? And y'all think we got justice, but we didn't get justice because this is what I can't understand. Lawrence Journal World in Facebook knew that his case was dismissed before him or his mom. This what you had this uh, um, systemic racism is very deeply rooted in Lawrence, Kansas, is backed up by the Lawrence Journal World, who time at the time make articles, twist our words so that we can be criticized. Then we got the LPD, who knows that they got crooked DAs and prosecutors that is going to uphold this until there's real change. And I'm talking about, I'm tired of you guys um, coming up with these fake committees. I watch your, um, the, what is it? The police citizen review board. Yeah, they don't even know what they're doing. Y'all have not gave them no clear answer, answers. I watched they meeting the other day when the captain came. Um, until y'all get real meetings and start trying to just find a, a black face. And I appreciate you guys being up there, but don't let them silence y'all. Don't let them use y'all to, to, as a bandit, like they did when they got us a black principal, when they got us a black chief, and when they got us a black superintendent. And I'm not saying all the police officers on the Lawrence Police Department is bad, but if you seeing something wrong, you're not speaking out, you're just as guilty as them. And y'all do have good uh, officers, but if I was to speak and say their names, y'all would do them just like y'all did Chief Burns. And I'm done. Thank you. Sherry, is there any further comment? Uh, yes, Mayor. My name is Michael, LFK Accountability. In my recent comments here, I've talked about the need for accountability and outside oversight of the Lawrence Police Department. Uh, tonight, uh, I'm going to talk about the history of the Office of Public Accountability. And Trent, I really wish you'd pay attention when we're talking about police. 52 years that the Blue Wall's been denying what's going on, and they're ignorant about the murders of Nick Rice and Rick Dowdle. While the current department isn't responsible for the mistakes of 1970, 
Our problem today is a result of the past, both recent and distant. The last decade or so, that they are responsible for. And that includes the time that Mr. Washington sat in jail waiting for his justice. The information wasn't made easy for, to look for trends, so I rearranged the data and broadened the date range. Obvious patterns appeared. More than half of all complaints are from citizens. Over 100 since 2009, and only 19 sustained. One of the most glaring disparities, citizens' complaints that are sustained versus internal actions. Then there's the variety of classifications used to dismiss citizen complaints. They spread them out. I compared sustained OPA complaints to the Kansas Seapost records. This data is indicative of a manipulated OPA process. 2020 was a year of national disruption and distrust of law enforcement, and Lawrence Police reported only six complaints. State and national data trends upwards while LPDs went down. We were advised to be aware of false positives in the new OPA reports. I suggest this is an attempt to manipulate your future analysis of the data that they show you. 60% of internal complaints are sustained, ones from police officers, only 19% from citizens. Do you guys understand how improbable that result is? The false negatives that we've been misled by, denying 70% of citizen complaints is outside expected norms. Based on his comments at the CPRB meeting last week, I think Chief Lockhart likely agrees with that. Recategorizing citizens' complaints, calling them cleared by exception, handling them at the patrol level, treating citizens like a threat. Then there's the pending file. Nothing is updated. These reports are such a priority that they don't update them until somebody calls them out on it. This is the totality of circumstances with the LPD and their OPA that we can't talk about. And just three more minutes of evidence that the LPD should not be trusted to police themselves. Thank you, Sherry. Is there anyone else there? Uh, not in the, ma'am, are you providing? Okay, uh, not in the room and online, uh, yes. Chris Flowers. Hi, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I was going to make a different remarks, but I'll just save it for another time. Um, I want—I do want to vote, uh, voice my support for the the people calling for police reform. Um, I, I I think they make some good points. Um, I wanted to bring up what I heard a little bit ago about if if in the future the people of Lawrence will still want cars. Of course we're still going to want cars. Why would we not want cars? And I don't understand why people are like, well, people might not want cars in the future. It's why would we want, I mean, it's like inventions go. Um, when it comes to inventions, we're inventing to make life easier. Like, why why are we going to go backwards and start walking when we can be lazy and ride? I mean, I don't want to give up my car. And I think it's crazy. And the only reason people would give up cars is if you make it so difficult to drive and they have 
like every where it's just easy to live life without a car but that i don't think lawrence is gonna be there for years to come and i'm not giving up my car and i think it's crazy to assume that people are going to want to give up their cars so i'm just throwing that out there thank you is there anyone else on zoom who has general public comment That's all the comment, Mayor. Oh, great, thank you. Um, with that, let, Mayor Shipley, let's uh, go ahead and move on to our work session. The work session provides an opportunity for the City Commission to discuss items in greater detail. The Commission will take no binding action on items presented during this time. Work session topics are eligible for live public comment. Each person will be limited to three minutes. Um, I'm not sure who's bringing this forward, but I know we have some presentation. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, this is Leah Roslin, a Board of Housing Administrator. Um, at the December 21st, uh, 2022, uh, 2021 meeting, uh, City Commissioners requested a presentation on the Kansas Statewide Housing Needs Assessment conducted by the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation and released in December 2021. This evening, it is my pleasure to introduce Ryan Vincent, the Executive Director of the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation, to provide a statewide overview of the report's findings and recommendations, in addition to a regional assessment of Douglas County themes, challenges, and opportunities. The report materials and Mr. Vincent's presentation are attached to the agenda for any commissioner or community member who would like to access those materials. I would like to extend my deepest appreciation to Mr. Vincent for sharing his time and expertise with us this evening. Welcome, Ryan. Well, good evening, uh, Leah and Mayor Shipley and members of the commission. Thanks so much for this opportunity. Hope you, you can hear me okay. and. Um, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen to pull up a PowerPoint. So please let me know if you have any issues seeing it. It may just take me a moment here. Just uh, go to the beginning of the presentation. Can you see that okay? All right. Well, again, my name is Ryan Vincent. I'm Executive Director at Kansas Housing. And, and thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for your interest. And thank you for your partnership in helping Kansas Housing unlock home. I'm, I've got a lot to cover in a very brief amount of time, um, so I, I'm going to give a very quick overview of KHRC, the work that we do, um, the service that we provide. I'm going to talk about how this housing needs assessment came to be. I'm going to talk about some of the goals and the strategies that we at the state um, with our partners came up with for the study, and then talk specifically about uh, Lawrence in Douglas County, as well as some next steps in enacting this um, study for your community and our state. But let's start with KHRC itself. We are a nonprofit public corporation that administers a variety of housing and community programs. Our mission is simple. We help Kansans access the safe, affordable housing they need with the dignity they deserve. Well, who do we work with? We work with you, um, government officials and bankers and lenders and economic development providers. We work not nonprofits, um, housing arms of different cities and counties. Um, and we, we work with a number of different community partners in Lawrence from tenants to homeowners 
to the city housing department to uh, Lord's Habitat for Humanity and great partners um, throughout the region. Overview of our programs themselves, um, we administer and fund everything from a literal shelter through emergency housing. Uh, we provide financing for domestic violence centers and homeless shelters in your community. Um, we're able to provide tenant-based rental assistance and actual housing development. Uh, whether that's the administration of the state's low-income housing tax credits to a variety of different um, grant funds through the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, we have a down payment assistance program. We provide weatherization assistance. As you have time, I encourage you to check out our website at kshousingcorp.org to learn about our programs and how we can um, help your community. I also will take just a moment to share that we've, we administer a variety of emergency response programs in response to the pandemic. Um, that includes our Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance or Cura program, uh, where we've provided over $6 million to Douglas County citizens in emergency rent, utility, and internet assistance. So we're thrilled um, to be a part of that to work with your housing stability, I'm sorry, stabilization collaborative and good, good housing partners there in the community. Uh, but that's an overview of KHRC's programs themselves. So let's take well, a few minutes. Well, quick, I'm getting a lot of static there. I'm not sure if others are, is it just my computer or? So maybe. Uh, I, think it, I think it might, Mayor Shibley, I think this might be his microphone. I've actually had this with some other Kansas people, but uh, I don't know, maybe he just wants to check his mic real quick. Um, yes, if you'll give me just a second, let me try um, switching over here. Apologies for this. I'm still trying to figure out how to get the screen going here. The joys of technical meetings, right? Is that any better? Ryan, you might try calling in. Uh, <laughs> if you'll give me a minute, what I can do is try. Um, well, give me just a minute here. Let me try calling in then. Commissioner Finkley, Mayor, can we take a quick five-minute break while he's working on that? And oh, sure. Um, if that's great with everyone, I'm sorry, I lost track of time. Thank you so much for reminding me of 
everyone's needs. Um, <laughs> let's let me look at the clock here um, and see what five minutes. Uh, let's come back at six forty-five. Is that okay with everybody? Great. All right. Thanks, Mayor Shipley. I think. Oh, I don't see Commissioner Littlejohn yet. Give us a few seconds here. Excellent. Um, okay, we now have 645. Um, uh, I, I do need to take roll again. Um, Vice Mayor Larson. Here. Um, Commissioner Finkeldye. Here. Commissioner Littlejohn? Here. Commissioner Sellers? <laughs> Mayor Shipley, I'm here. Um, okay, let's go back to our speaker. His, um, his microphone is much better, so uh, let's try that again. Thank you. All right, well, apologies for the technical difficulties. Everyone can hear me now better? Okay, I'm going to share my screen once again, and if you'll give me just a moment here. Um, and I'm going to just go ahead and proceed with just a, a reminder that we've, we administer a variety of different um, housing and community programs that run the spectrum of emergency housing to actual housing development to emergency response. Uh, but why we're here is to talk about our statewide housing study. And uh, that's why I, I'm pleased to take this opportunity to share that for 30 years, the state of Kansas has not had a comprehensive housing study. Essentially, we've been administering programs and resources in the dark. Um, it's been since the time of Governor Finney that we last had uh, real data, real time to be able to make real decisions that impact your communities and our state. Um, because of that, we have been um, working with the Office of Rural Prosperity, the Department of Commerce, and our office to finance this comprehensive housing study for the state. Um, it started with a roadshow. We went all over the state to over 80 different regional and stakeholder meetings. We met with approximately 4,500 Kansans um, through interactive surveys. Um, we had great discussions with realtors and bankers and nonprofits and housing advocates. And we used U.S. Census data, um, stakeholder data, as well as the comprehensive information that we learned in these um, study sessions to develop um, the, the information that we're going to be sharing here tonight. We worked with a committee of technical experts that included um, nonprofits and community leaders. It included regions from across the state, including Shawnee Douglas County. Uh, we were able to develop a number of different housing goals. Those goals are broken down from everything from freeing up more middle income housing to diversifying our state's housing stock. Um, they included things like extending housing security. Uh, we learned through this process that we're actually losing more affordable housing units than we're gaining in our state and in your communities. Um, we discussed the need to increasingly reinvest in our older housing stock, including vacant units. Um, but if we're going to also address long-term housing needs, we discussed the need to build on the lack of trade labor in our state. And finally, We've got great programs and great partners and great resources, but we don't have enough people that can 
uh, that are around that can be ambassadors for those programs. So those were the goals that we at the state level made for this, um, th this housing study. The strategies were broken down both at the state level and at the local level. At the state level, they increased, they included things like increasing funding for different programs, particular moderate income housing programs, um, extending and in exploring new funding opportunities. But we also looked at local level, what you at the local communities in the city of Lawrence and across the state can do um, to impact and affect change um, from the goals that we were discussing. We broke down the data into not just state, but region. And I'm gonna show you at the very end of the presentation how to access the specific information for the city of Lawrence and Douglas County that this study um, was able to, to compile. Um, but beyond that, we, we also spent some time with a deep dive into Shawnee and Douglas County. Before I, I go into specifics on the, the findings that we have for Shawnee and Douglas County, though, I wanna share just a couple of kind of, kind of disclaimers. Uh, one is that I'm a state housing official. Um, I, I'm not an expert on Lawrence or Douglas County, even though I frequent your community and love your community. Um, Lawrence is unique, and I think it's worth sharing because um, from an outsider's perspective, that you are a progressive community, you've got engaged stakeholders, and it speaks very highly for your commission, for your community, for your housing partners, uh, the good work that you do, that you are truly um, a, a lead and an example of how to do a progressive housing policy for our state. So for that, I thank you. Um, I also wanna make sure that I share that Leah and the number of the folks within the city itself probably know that um, you have your own housing study that goes into more of a deep dive for the city of Lawrence. Um, I believe it's been redone every couple of years, but I encourage you to make sure that you're exploring that as well. And finally, I, I do want to stress that just for purposes of administering a giant study for the state, um, we had to break it down into regions. We knew that Shawnee and Douglas County were unique, but we, we grouped them together for purposes of our study. Um, that all said, we did have a public forum in May 2021. We had great response from both Shawnee and Douglas County. We had a listening session with your city staff and with officials and with economic developers. And um, we got great feedback that I'm now going to share with you. Um, a couple of the themes that we heard. One of those uh, was that there does seem to be some, um, whether it's fair or not, some inconsistent review and approval processes at times that we were hearing for this particular region. Um, that there's a mismatch between the cost of approval and then the desired outcomes. And what that means is that the city of Lawrence and the community is great about coming to funders and expressing a desire for more affordable housing. But the fact is that on the back end, that sometimes through maybe a cumbersome approval process, high cost of site development, utility services, um, specials and expense that ultimately can be difficult and cumbersome to get those developments finished. That's the mismatch that we were hearing about, um, whether that's just perception or whether that's reality. A couple of things I think you should be aware of, um, as starting with population profile itself. The county's growing. You're doing wonderfully. You've got a 7% growth versus um, Shawnee counties, which is just half a percent. The University of Kansas, obviously a major employer and stakeholder in your community, has been very stable, which is important. 
uh, Douglas County itself is becoming more diverse and um, interestingly enough is still less diverse overall than the rest of the state. You also have one of the youngest populations in the state, but you're experiencing some of the biggest growth for the over 55 age population, uh, which I found interesting. Turning to household profile, um, the median household income has been increasing in the county, which again is wonderful. Vacancy rates itself tend to be lower than in most of the state. We generally like to see, um, just for purposes of a flexible housing market, uh, vacancy rates around 6%. Last I saw it was running about 8% in Douglas County, um, but you're not seeing the, the high vacancies that rural areas or inner city areas are facing. So that speaks again well for Douglas County. The share of cost burden owners is decreasing in Shawnee County. In fact, uh, Douglas County has the lowest owner occupancy rate in the state, um, which is interesting and probably reflects some of that unique dynamics of having the university here. Um, the share of cost burden renters has been increasing, however, um, but that's particularly in Shawnee County and not so much in, in Douglas, County, Douglas County itself. Um, but it's worth noting that there are higher rents in Douglas County overall than in the state of Kansas. So that's kind of the household profile that we picked up in our study. Now let's talk about the housing stock itself. Um, you've got some of the newest housing stock in the state, um, which again speaks well for the community, but certainly there are areas that have aging housing stock. Um, you're seeing a lot of newer rental construction followed behind uh, Johnson County as well. Um, and, and then generally, overall, as compared to the rest of the state, we're seeing a newer population of housing stock and fewer homes being in poor condition, um, both multifamily and single family. So that's just that deep dive. Again, I'm going to show you where you can get about 16 pages of great data just on Douglas and Shawnee County, which I think would be helpful as you're making policy decisions. But let's talk about um, what we now do with the study itself. As far as what's happening around the state, um, what we've done is we've captured success stories, including some from Douglas County. Uh, you'll see this is from our, um, our executive profile and it actually lists tenants to homeowners, a nonprofit in Lawrence that does great work as an example of how to run um, homeowner assistance for the state of Kansas. So again, speaks well for your community. Um, as far as next steps for the state of Kansas, um, we've got things to work at at KHRC, as well as with the Department of Commerce and our state legislature. Mm -hmm. We're looking at expanding investment for our moderate income housing program. Uh, currently, we get about $2 million a year for that program. We would love to expand it. Right now, we're spending 69 cents per Kansan per year for housing. We know that we've got so much more need, and it's not just in rural or urban areas. Um, expanding MIH would allow us to expand into urban areas to have larger grants, and we've got wonderful opportunities from ARPA to state general fund. Um, some other takeaways at the state level are that we could work with the Department of Commerce to have uh, state business incentives for housing, just like they do for jobs. Um, to have state housing extension officers, um, which is a wonderful model that's being utilized in other states. Uh, finally, to, to work for on our workforce development, that if we're going to have long-term people to, to build our houses, we've got to invest in the building trades. So those are the few of the items that we're going to be working on from the state perspective. 
but we also have great best practices that we've highlighted for local communities like Douglas County, like the city of Lawrence. And these include successful bond programs that we've seen in our state and in other states, um, success stories and, and ideas for utilizing your local ARPA dollars, um, just like we have for the state discretionary ARPA dollars. Uh, lastly, I just wanna make sure you know that we every year put on a housing conference it's gonna be at the Hyatt in Wichita um, this coming year. And we, we hope to continue the education and the dialogue um, in Wichita. And we'd love to have the city be a part of those discussions. I've got my contact information on the screen, um, but I'm gonna stop sharing my screen now for just a moment. Um, I'm gonna show you where you can access the study itself. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't have actually done that quite yet. Let me share my screen one more time. And let me just pull up our website itself, which is a kshousingcorp.org. And I just wanna show you where the study itself is located. Um, you can scroll down and view not only um, the executive summary, which I kind of went through very quickly with you and the statewide profile, uh, but the regional assessment itself, which is literally hundreds of pages, but has about 15 pages just on Douglas County. Um, lastly, we do have a goals and strategies um, section that talks about both state and local ideas um, that we'd love to take some time to explore. Um, so let me stop sharing my screen. Uh, let me just field any questions you have. And again, I just appreciate this opportunity to talk tonight. Mayor Shipley, thank you. That's so kind um, of you to be here. And um, are there any questions from commissioners? Uh Commissioner Littlejohn, um, and uh, I, I echo Mayor Shipley. Uh, thank you so much for uh, coming and presenting. Uh, really appreciate it, Mr. Vincent. And uh, uh, one one question I did have in looking at the immense amount of information that you guys are able to to gather um, is: uh, Have you would you be able to go into any sort of prevalence of uh, nonprofit profit relationships uh, that there might be across the state or private uh, um, public partnerships that uh, you've seen? Uh, how common is it? And uh, what are some great examples? A wonderful question, Commissioner, and I'd be happy to do that um, because I think that's, that's the ultimate takeaway. There's two goals for the study. The first is education. It's educating policymakers. It's educating um, housing funders like Kansas Housing on how best to utilize our resources. Um, but then ultimately, it's also about the process itself and it's about connecting people um, so that people like you as policymakers in the city of Lawrence have some ideas um, because it is overwhelming the amount of need and the amount of examples that are out there. So let me share a couple of the ideas that are, are stressed in here. Um, one is that we've got actual examples, whether you are in inner city KCK or Wichita or even Lawrence, about nonprofits and um, for-profit developers that do great work. Um, we, we also have ideas for rural communities. Um, one that comes to mind right now is Little Norton, Kansas, or I, I'm sorry, um, uh, yeah, it is Norton, Kansas that has done a fabulous job of connecting um, the community foundation in the community. They've done a great job of connecting their local hardware store and their senior um, center. And they've, they've got um, a comprehensive assessment of what their housing needs were. And then they went to their funders and they have ideas so that if they just want to incentivize um, 
people in their community to maybe paint their house. We've captured stories about now how they can go and take a voucher to the local hardware store. They can use money from their community foundation. They can get paint to fix up their home, which will then fix up and encourage their neighbors to fix up their neighborhood. And it's a quick win-win-win with a little bit of investment from a variety of sources. Um, those are the types of ideas, whether it's the land bank in Douglas County and the city of Lawrence, that's a great model for success. Um, whether it's uh, rental assistance, uh, like the housing st stabilization collaborative that I've mentioned, which is being lift up, uh, lifted up as a real model, how um, a couple of nonprofits can identify some needs in your community and work with the state and work with um, advocates to come up with solutions so that we can get dollars out the door um, to help your citizens. So those types of examples, even though the, the study are lar is large, um, are throughout the, the study. And we really encourage you and your housing department and your local chamber of commerce and your nonprofits to start digging into the materials and those best practices. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Brian. And uh, I just had an additional question with that, uh, Commissioner Littlejohn. Um, what, uh, were there any examples uh, outside of the state of Kansas that you might know of? Another excellent question. We, we certainly recognize that the state and our communities don't have all the answers. Um, what we see are that there are real models of success from rural areas and urban areas in Nebraska and Oklahoma and Missouri that we can highlight. Um, similarly situated Midwestern communities that have similar political structures and have similar constraints on their resources. And yet they've recognized that in order to address long-term systemic housing problems, um, we need to work together. And, and that's what we've highlighted in the report that's why we worked with RDG, which actually is officed out of uh, Nebraska, even though it's done a number of local Kansas community housing assessments, um, because what we need to be doing is capturing these stories and connecting our stakeholders. Um, so that's something that we've started the process of, but it's also something that is on all of us at the state level and at your community level so that not only are we highlighting those stories, but folks like Leah are able to reach out to some of those examples that we highlight and some of those contacts, whether it's a successful bond program in Iowa um, that has managed to use um, tax exempt bonds to do some actual housing development, uh, or whether it's something like what I'd mentioned in Norton, just a, a small little replicable um, local program that's starting to get some small homeowner rehab um, successes. So um, yes, we've got uh, great resources and neighbors around us that we're capturing those stories in the study. This is, this is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, Commissioner Littlejohn, I also just wanted to add in addition to what Ryan um, spoke to, so all the commissioners are aware, we do have a um, housing toolkit on the City of Lawrence Affordable Housing webpage. And for any commissioners or community members who might be interested in evidence-based or 
best practices or promising practices for increasing um, housing affordability and uh, on the uh, in local government and local communities. That's a great resource and um, myself and the Affordable Housing Advisory Board would be really interested in any solutions that um, pique your interest or that you would like uh, us to dig further into for further exploration. Commissioner Littlejohn, thank you for that, Leah. Uh, I'll, I'll definitely uh, visit that and uh, I appreciate the, uh, the extension of an invitation. Commissioner Finlay, Ryan, thanks. I'll also say thanks for being here in the report and, and just doing the report. I think, as you said, it's been a long time coming and so it's good to see that. Obviously, I know you're working on some funding issues. Are there any legislative um, issues you've put forward that we should be following and possibly encouraging um, <laughs> passage of besides just the funding aspects of that? Uh, you know, we, your question has never been more timely than it is right now. Um, we've got our friends back at the State House. I mean, and it is so vital that they hear from stakeholders outside of our office. Um, we've been kind of the lonely voice in the wilderness for so many years saying that we've got to invest in housing. We can't just react to every disaster, whether it's a pandemic or whether it's a tornado, that we're simply um, putting a Band-Aid and we need to be addressing the underlying systemic housing issues, uh, lack of safe, affordable, accessible housing in our state. And again, your community has been so progressive, but it's key that you're talking to your state legislators about things like investing in um, moderate income housing, it's an area that we don't have a resource for right now. We've got some, not enough, uh, dollars available for low-income affordable housing development. Um, but there is an income band that makes too much to qualify for the federal programs, but simply does not make enough money um, to meet the market needs. And that's in Lawrence, and that's in Iola, and that's in Dodge City, and it's in Wichita, and everything in between. It's our nurses, it's our firefighters, it's our teachers, it's the folks that we want and need in our communities. And until they hear from you and your chamber of commerce and your realtors and your bankers and your nonprofits, only then will they start to invest in housing, moderate income and affordable alike. Um, other ideas that we're hearing about are some kind of um, flexible regulations, um, to allow the Department of Commerce, as an example, to start investing um, using some of their dollars that are going towards economic development for jobs to now be used for housing. Um, and it's expanding their rural housing incentive district. Um, there's other bills that I'm seeing on the horizon that would be um, tax credits or down payment um, incentives. You know, we're open to resources and ultimately the legislators and our city councils are the policymakers. Um, but we know that our state is capable of investing more than 69 cents per Kansan per year in housing. That if we're gonna have healthy neighborhoods, if we're gonna have good jobs, then we need um, sustained funding long-term for housing because we are competing against um, developers and contractors, I'm sorry, we're, we're trying to attract developers and contractors and are competing against Oklahoma and Missouri and Nebraska who have dollars available from their state to invest in housing and attract 
um, those contractors and developers. Um, so those types of conversations are what we've got to be having at the state house. But we also need to make sure that they're being had with the state spark task force, which is making decisions right now on how to invest once in a generation dollars that are available um, for infrastructure or for housing. Um, and, and those are the decisions that you all are having to make at the local level. Um, so I guess my, the last piece of that uh, commissioner is just to say that, you know, we, we encourage you to have those discussions about using some of your limited local ARPA dollars um, for housing, because we've got to all be investing um, to, to avoid this disaster response that we find ourselves in time after time. This is Commissioner Sellers, and I I got a little happy there because I thought maybe Commissioner Finkelday was going to um, ask my question, but it, I, I'll go ahead and lean into it a little bit more with you, Ryan, um, from the legislative perspective. Um, you know, in the uh, <clears throat> governor's uh, budget, um, there was um, highlighted um, $20 million for to address housing. And although Director Profit didn't necessarily go into details of, about what that would look like, he did say that that would be a program administered through the Department of Commerce, through um, the Housing Corporation, your uh, entity. And so could you, if you are able to or at liberty to, do you have a knowledge or, or understanding of what those dollars could potentially be used for? Do you believe it would be used to address that? 69 cents or to put inf infuse more dollars into moderate income housing. Could you just kind of share a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely, Commissioner. I, I appreciate your interest and, and knowledge that, that that investment is out there and that idea. We were so pleased to see the governor's budget contain that. Um, actually, it would be in addition to 2 million we normally get for the moderate income housing program. So it would be an 11 fold increase a one-time investment um, in that program of level of funding we've never seen before, which which is accurately reflecting the need that's out there. Um, a couple issues with that. First of all, that program currently is limited to rural communities. That's uh, communities that are under 60,000 population. Um, our hope is that the additional money would allow us to not only increase the size of our grants, but depending on the structure that comes with it, uh, open it up to more urban areas as well, because the city of Lawrence and city of Topeka and a number of other more urban areas certainly have housing needs that are reflected in our housing study and you're all very well aware of as well. Um, but through that program, we are responsive to local needs. So a community can come to us and tell us that they need investment in infrastructure that they want to use their um, dollars for actual housing development, whether that's gap financing, whether it's down payment assistance, uh, whether it's demo. The beauty of that program is that it is so flexible because it's not federal funds. And that's the challenge that we have is that we're getting all of this federal money right now, but it can only be used for just a small sliver of the need that's out there. The dollars, whether it's ARPA or whether it's the MIH program that you reference, would allow us actual development, which has been sorely needed in rural and urban areas alike. So my hope is that that additional dollars, those additional dollars would allow us to expand our program to serve more communities, including urban areas, 
um, to increase the size of our grants and potentially even to work outside of our traditional grantees, which under the $2 million program is limited to cities and counties and rural communities. Um, we'd love to be able to fund Habitat affiliates directly or community housing development organizations. Um, and we're able to do that indirectly because we're, we allow um, our cities and counties that apply for MIH to par partner with those great organizations. Um, but it's possible, depending on whatever rules come with these funds, that we can expand the program, expand the grantees, and expand the impact of what we can do um, with those dollars. Thank you, Ryan. This is Commissioner Sellers again. Um, and going through the report and looking at the snapshot for um, Shawnee and Douglas County, um, one of the um, survey questions that asked what types of housing solutions um, would you support to reduce the cost of housing? And I know um, for our area, it was about 49% or 48.9 um, said that uh, public development of infrastructure. And so uh, I, I know you shared a little bit about um, local government, you know, local communities um, utilizing their city ARPA dollars or as well as the tranche of money that we have um, on the state level that's being administered by the SPARC task force and, and opportunities to utilize those dollars for that. So I, I'm glad you shared, shared that and was able to um, speak on that and enlighten those of the public who would be, you know, who are listening this evening um, on this. To dig a little bit deeper into that very same question, um, it looks like about 41% of respondents said that Section 8 housing choice vouchers, rental subsidies um, would be a type of solution to support reducing cost of housing. And I know that choice vouchers uh, speaks to a source of income and having um, property managers, landlords who, who accept housing choice vouchers. Um, so I didn't, I guess going into the report, did the consultant look into source of income and how that relates to communities' ability to provide affordable housing, um, knowing that there may be some pushback in some communities where you have them that you have individuals who have a voucher, um, but they're unable to find a landlord or a property uh, manager that would accept it, although it is a form of income. And so, it, was there? Can you speak a little bit to that? Um, if that was a point of emphasis in the report or did some of that come up in conversations that you heard with stakeholders through your road shows? Yes, it actually came up in several different listening um, tours and some of those stakeholder meetings that we talked about. The, the biggest area was actually Wyandotte County. We heard from uh, the Unified Government's public hearing that they actually had to return um, some funds, some vouchers to HUD because um, you know there, there weren't enough landlords that were willing to go through the process and the education um, to to accept those vouchers, and, and that's a struggle. And we know that it happens everywhere, but particularly um, Wyandotte County, we're hearing it, as well as Sedgwick County. Um, and, and you know, I think there's an educational component to that. And I think as far as just the the commission itself, I know you all have to go through some difficult decision making. Um, I've already highlighted you as an example of not only your um, just progressive housing uh, knowledge and um, 
thoughts, but also the fact that you, you've got a local housing um, fund, uh, the, I'm trying to remember the name of this, you know, we have a state housing trust fund. I think, I believe that you call it the Lawrence um, housing fund that, that yeah. it is, is a wonderful housing tax. Sure, so, so that's a wonderful resource to be able to make investment, um, as well as the, the local ARPA dollars that you talked about. And you're in the delicate and predicament of having to make decisions of whether you apply what you put towards rental assistance and uh, people that are needing supportive housing services or actual housing development. And that's not an easy decision and it's a policy decision that you have to make, but I think you can use things like the housing study to help frame the conversation. Um, you, you, and a, a couple of ideas that I've recommended um, to folks are that you use the most flexible dollars for the most flexible purpose. So if you've already got rental assistance available from other means, whether that's the Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program, or tenant-based rental assistance, um, that we make sure that we're utilizing those dollars that free up your more flexible dollars for actual housing development. And I know that's easier said than done, and it's important to meet all of the needs simultaneously, uh, but that's the type of guidance that I usually recommend to folks. And I think that our study can help um, inform and make those policy decisions for you all. Mayor Shipley, any other um, questions? Yes, this is a Vice Mayor Larson. I had one question, Ryan. Um, you had talked about the the program um, where it limits it to populations of less than 60,000 people, and you said that they were looking to maybe expand that. Is that something that's expanded at a federal level or a state level, if it could be? I appreciate the question, Vice Mayor, and it's actually, a, that's a state program. So that's the beauty of that one is that it's a, the, the $2 million a year that currently fund the program by statute are limited to rural communities and that's communities defined under 60,000 population. I'm assuming with the governor's proposal that the dollars would be treated separately and not subject to that same requirement. But I haven't actually seen this in bill form yet. So it's gonna depend on what ultimately passes the state legislature. If it's simply an allocation, a line item in a funding bill, then our interpretation will be that it could be expanded to urban areas and to other grantees and to larger grants. And that gives us maximum flexibility to meet your community's needs. Thank you, Commissioner, um, Vice Mayor Larson again. Is there anything that we can do to encourage that, to talk to anybody or, or help, help with that situation? Uh, you know, I'd certainly encourage you to talk to your local delegation in the legislature to make sure that they're aware of this possible investment, um, that they're supportive of it, but also that they're watching out um, to ensure that there's, you know, the greater flexibility that we can give um, to our office to administer the program to meet local needs is key. That's why the program has been so successful. It's why we've been able to leverage $7 and outside dollars for every $1 we're receiving. Um, talk about a return on investment that you get year after year after year. Um, but it's also the reason the program has been so successful. Um, the federal programs are wonderful, but they're challenging because there are so many restrictions. Mm -hmm. Our program is able to fund just about every eligible housing activity. Um, so as long as we maintain that maximum flexibility, 
but we also talk to our legislative delegations about um, expanding it, allowing us to actually serve more urban areas that have important needs that are currently unmet. Um, that's going to be key to making this successful um, for your community as well. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. Mayor Shipley, um, any other questions? It's Commissioner Sellers, no questions, but again, thank you, Ryan, for this presentation. I think what you showed with us having with the state assessment, um, it definitely complements the work that was done in 2018 and what we have with our housing toolkit. Um, you know, these are two, um, well, these are multiple documents that complement each other. And then again, it's, it's helpful uh, resources for us as commissioners to think about strategies and, 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 and policy opportunities for us in our community. Um, since we are fortunate to have implemented a few of these um, strategies already, what can we do to continuously elevate that work um, to address the affordability need here? So thank you for the work that was put into this with the consultant and the work of your, your office. And, you know, I, I know we talk about Lawrence being progressive and great and, you know, this was, one report that highlighted that, but it also shows that we do still have work to do um, in the area of how do we continue to move um, us in a way of addressing housing for all and affordability for all. I appreciate that, Commissioner. And I may, I may just add, I did forget to mention that we are going to have a story map component that's going to be able to be accessible to not just your, your housing office and your nonprofits and your different stakeholders, uh, but it's going to be a real-time data tool that's going to be posted on our website shortly that will make it a much more interactive study um, so that it won't just sit and collect dust on the, the shelf, that it's going to be used at our level, at the state, um, and certainly at the local level, and it's going to be a nice interactive tool for your constituents. Um, so we'll get that posted and shared with your um, stakeholders in the very near, near future. Thank you. That's great. Um, I do want to make sure we don't have any public comment on this item. Um, Sherry? Uh, not in the room, and we're checking um, Zoom now. It looks like there's no public comment on this item. Okay, well then <clears throat> I will bring it back, make sure no one has any other comments uh, or questions for Ryan. This was really edifying, and I'm really glad um, this was brought to our attention, um, something we could um, look at, and, and I'm excited about any new tools that come with it. Um, so again, any other comments? No, thank you again, Mr. Vincent, for being here. I, we really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, and uh, keep up the great work in, on the housing front. <laughs> yes, and as always, thank you to Leah um, for all the work that you're doing um, with all the coordination and um, keeping these connections and communications open. Thank you so much. Um, let's carry on um, from our work session. Um, are there any commission items this evening? This is Commissioner Sellers. Um, for a future work item, I'd like for us to revisit resolution 7070. Um, that particular resolution is in regards to um, 
how we govern appropriations and expenditures for public art. Um, specifically, what I'm looking at is our interpretation of that particular resolution. And I'd like the opportunity to engage um, with my fellow commissioners on the possibility of us reading. Sorry, I was because I was reading my notes here. So, <laughs> so just looking at the how the resolution is written and um, to entertain maybe a change or um, discussion on how we interpret um, implementing that particular resolution. Um, not sure if it would be a need of a text amendment. Um, I don't see that being the case, but um, just more discussion along how we um, how we identify allocation of those of those funds and what those funds should be utilized for. So um, again, this predates me, but um, something that I feel like is an opportunity for us to to discuss it as we go into the next um, budget cycle and its relationship with CIP project. So, Mayor Shipley, I want to agree and disagree at the same time. Hey, uh, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> we, I think we have, I agree. I would love to review it. I don't necessarily see the issue, for me, the issue isn't entirely in the interpretation but I think we might want to consider rebalancing it. So if I could give an example, not to get too far into it this evening, um, you know, someone I, uh, some artists I heard from the public um, suggested, well, instead of making, a, you know, a, one chunk of money that goes to one giant project, could we peel off parts of it to do a lot of smaller projects? And it doesn't appear to allow for that. And I just thought, you know, that's a fair point. So I would love to have that discussion with you. I would just maybe say I, I would be a little more open-minded to maybe making changes if we want to. <laughs> okay, well, this is Commissioner Sellers. I am seeing that this is my first rodeo and in, in presenting the opportunity for a text amendment to a resolution. I'm here for it. This is what I do at my day job. So we want to open something up, we open it up. You don't ever open up one you know, we say in regulation writing, when you open up a regular, you open up a statute to address one thing, you open up it all for to, for review and interpretation. So at that point, I'm I'm totally open for it. So yeah, are there is, is there at least another commissioner who's also interested in this conversation? Yeah, this is uh, Vice Mayor Larson. I am interested in that because um, just some of the projects we've had to and we've worked with in the past few years, I think it definitely warrants a, a relook at, so to speak, and and determine if this is still the route we want to go with this. I believe the resolution was written in 1986. I believe what I'm reading here. I guess it was also redone in 2014. So it's um, time to revisit it. I agree. Mayor Shipley, any other any other agreement on this? You're you're up to okay, great. Um, I hear consensus, Craig. Um, uh, in as much as this item touches on I, things in our strategic plan, and and this may be kind of you know the the minutia. Of, I wonder if you could tell us how to direct you um, uh, in some of our comments. What are your thoughts? 
Uh, City Manager Craig Owens, I, we, I'm glad we're you know putting it in the context of the strategic plan. Um, there is some important work that's going to be done in that area for unmistakable identity, I think. Um, yeah, so you give us some time to digest it. We understand the intent is to relook at the, this regulation and if there's some better ways to match up with where we're trying to go with strategic plan, uh, have the, the commission uh, be able to reconsider and adapt to that. So I would say give us some time to come up with a plan and we'll certainly be bringing it back to you and give you some options on that. Well, within, I would say a 60 day period, if that'll work. I don't know that there's any big projects that are running at us, but if, certainly if there are, then we'll be sensitive to understanding your time frame for trying to get the next thing um, under the new policy. Uh, Mayor Shipley, thank you, Craig. Um, I hope that I see nods uh, for people who can't see everyone. Uh, sounds like we that's a good time frame, an acceptable time frame for us. Um, is there any other commission items? Come on, you know you got something you want to throw out there. I'm kidding. All right. It's Commissioner uh, Sellers. I do, but I'm pacing myself. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I, uh, Mayor Shipley, I'm sure staff also thanks you. Um, so um, let's uh, move on to our next agenda item, which is the city manager's report. Thank you, City Manager Craig Owens. We have uh, three items on there tonight. Um, the one I'll put some special emphasis to is the uh, update on the 2023 budget process. Um, we are, uh, I think, into our third week of the um, fiscal year, and we're talking about building the plan for the next fiscal year. So, um, as you know, we have um, quite a gap and a challenge to our structural budget, and um, we're trying to be very thoughtful about how we approach that in the priority-based budgeting uh, methodology. And we brought some outside resources in, some experts nationally to try and help us work through that uh, with ResourceX. And staff work has actually been pretty uh, robust um, involving a lot of um, city staff uh, pretty deep into the organization at developing some uh, some ideas, um, generating some ideas that will help us um, uh, wrestle with this uh, pretty good uh, challenge that we have. So um, we're trying to do a lot of work up front so that we can bring it towards the community and the commission in a way that gives a wide range of options and that addresses the you know the fundamental issue, which is a big gap. So I've been really excited about how broad ranging it is and thoughtful it is. Having a strategic plan is uh, very useful in trying to understand what we're in and what we're not in. Uh, but it it is a lot of work, and I can't say that we have any big eureka moments. Um, we have a lot of ideas at this stage, but um, we we probably have uh, 50 people in the organization plus that have touched it and touch this process and that are uh, developing ideas and this is pretty early in any budget process so pleased to uh, share some of those results as it comes up and we do anticipate public engagement this being a part of it uh, we just want to do some want to wrestle with some of these ideas and, and refinement of um, of the numbers so that it can be useful and uh, people that don't do this all day long can engage with us successfully in the process that's ahead of us. 
Uh, Mayor Shibley, thank you. Um, I probably should have said this in commission items, but um, you're there. So I did want to um, acknowledge our new chief of police who was sworn in today. And uh, maybe you'd like to comment on that, or maybe he'd like to say something if he's <laughs> still here. Um, I can't see all the squares, so I'm not sure. Um, but I did, I did want to uh, congratulate you and, and say, Thank you. I'm sure we were all watching. Um, sadly, we couldn't be there. And I hope you'll uh, uh, accept our apologies under the circumstances with COVID that we could not be there with you. Uh, but thank you again. Thank you, Mayor Shipley. Chief uh, Rich Lockhart here. I'm no longer the uh, soon to be chief, but now the actual chief. Although during the swearing in, I was a little confused. I thought I was back in Warrensburg. I thought I heard somebody say we're not in Kansas anymore. So much apologies uh, to everyone. Uh, it's like the rock band who forgets which city they're in. Um, had a great couple of days, uh, rode along with a couple of officers yesterday and uh, had a little what I called a, a soft first day. And uh, Craig keep ha keeps having to remind me that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I appreciate that because um, I don't like to sit still. So uh, I'm trying to rein myself back in. Had a great second day today and uh, getting to know a lot of folks and uh, my family really enjoyed uh, how special uh, Porter and staff uh, made the swearing in. Uh, and so we really want to thank them for that. They did a fantastic job. Uh, my parents all the way in Grand Lake, Michigan were able to see it. Uh, my son who's working out of the plaza at Meyer, uh, whatever their second name is, uh, got to see it. So it was really cool. Love the technology. Uh, looking forward to working with all of you and our wonderful community and uh, the men and women of the Lawrence, or the, I will state it again, the Lawrence Police Department. I know. Um, so anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for giving me a few minutes of uh, your time tonight. Mayor Shipley, thank you. Um, I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, let's move on to calendar items. Mayor, uh, City Manager Craig Owens, you've got to take public uh, comment on. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes, this is a public comment item. Thank you so much. Um, is there any public comment on the City Manager's report? Mary Reedman, City Clerk, there is no public comment on this item. Thank you so much, Sherry. Um, okay, yes, uh, now onto the calendar. Any um, any things we need to bring up for commissioners? Um, all right, well, I, I guess thank you then is an order to everyone um, for this evening. Um, I guess I would entertain any motions to adjourn. This is Vice Mayor Larson. I move to adjourn. Commissioner Finkel, I second. Uh, Mayor Shipley, uh, I have a first and a second. Vice Mayor Larson? Aye. Uh, Commissioner Finkel, Aye. Commissioner Littlejohn? Aye. Commissioner Sellers? It's not the same day, but I'll say aye. <laughs> <laughs> Mayor Shipley, I uh, also say aye, that's five to zero. Thank you again, everyone. Um, we won't see you next week, but we'll see you in February. Have a lovely week. <laughs>